You're listening to Pitch Perfect, and I'm your host, Nate. And joining me is my co-host, Josh, though you might know him from his story by credit on the 2011 romantic comedy, I assume, The Change Up. Now, is there any truth to the rumor that the only reason you have the story by credit is because you came up with an idea for a movie where two guys pee in a fountain? No, actually, uh, what happened, hi, hello, I'm Josh, uh, but what happened was I uh, got in touch with the director and I wouldn't stop calling him and explaining the Sonic comics to him. I kept doing this until he eventually conceded, fine, I'll let you be in the movie. Just, here's a nonsense thing. And I got I got it. So, you know, if you have someone in your life that won't give you what you want, just explain the Sonic comics to them, and eventually, they'll give you what you want to shut you up. This is cruel, what you're doing to our listeners. <laughs> Do not listen to this man. Do not take his advice. <laughs> Trust me from my experience, you should do everything in your power to never have to explain anything from really any Sonic-related thing at all, but especially not the comics, to anyone. Don't tell anyone uh, about all the differences between the British Sonic the comic and the American Archie Sonic the Hedgehog comic. No one wants to hear about it. They don't want to. Just stop. Well, uh, before we lose all listeners, as you start to devolve into explaining the Sonic comics as you try to warn them not to. Uh, let's get started. Okay. Faster than a speeding pancake. More powerful than a Pluton missile. Able to leap tall, poison-tipped barbed wire fences in a single bound. The infamous hero is now the man of the hour. Ernest P. Worrell. To best be in a position to use his amazing powers in a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way, Ernest has assumed the disguise of a mild-mannered golf ball catcher? With lofty goals of driving army vehicles? That's right. Welcome to The Importance of Being Earnest, where my co-host and I talk about Ernest's incredible legacy, and how things might have been a little bit different if our hero Jim Varney had returned to his home planet so soon. See, here's the thing you gotta understand. In Sonic the Comic, the British one, he's a regular hedgehog that's friends with a mad scientist, but then science experiment makes him blue and fast but also turns a scientist... That's right, Josh. We're uh, in the first season of Pitch Perfect. If you hang out with us for a little bit longer, we're going to get you the perfect pitch of this season's au revoir of Jim Varney's character, Ernest. And that's going to be the podcast, so I hope you stick around. I'm Nate, and this is my Nate voice. This is how I normally sound. Yeah, yep, that's me. Sometimes (laughs) I just turn into Vincent D'Onofrio from uh, Men in Black because I love sugar water. (laughs) Uh, this is the last proper earnest movie like that we're gonna watch i mean this is the last proper earnest movie at all but it's the last one that we're gonna watch that like has his name in the title or he's the main character we still have one stop left on our journey before we get to the end but but this really is the this is the the end of earnest well, what do you mean by this is the end of Ernest? What did we watch this week? We watched Ernest in the Army, a movie that you have definitely confused with In the Army now. You've probably combined them in your mind into one title. <laughs> I definitely don't know what you're talking about. Um, but before we get into, you know, detailing more about this movie and the synopsis, I got something uh, that came to my desk this morning, and I think uh, I should read it on this podcast because I think it's fan mail. I think we got fan mail. So uh, let me just open this and read this real quick. Hey, Nate and Josh, big fan. I just want to reach out regarding last week's episode, where you forgot to compare the series' low and high points with the low and high points of Ernest Goes to Africa. The fans, and by that I mean I, need to know which is worse. Also, 
He didn't mention the funny bit with Ernest sticking his hands into the nostrils of a clearly puppeted alligator, which was super baffling. Thanks! P.S. Oh, also, I kidnapped your invasive species friend Zack, and I'm holding him hostage until you pay me $50,000. Signed, your friendly neighborhood eco-terrorist. Now, I appreciate this fan, and uh, we're real glad that somebody found Zack and hopefully is taking care of him, but we can't afford that because we don't have a budget. So maybe next season we'll get Zack back from this uh, seemingly nice eco-terrorist. But till then, I think he brought up some pretty good points that we got to talk about. Yeah. What was up with that alligator thing? <laughs> right? There's a point in Ernest Goes to Africa, the movie we watched last week, where Ernest falls into a river, and the next thing we see is he's washing up on shore, and an alligator pops up. And Ernest immediately, super confident, just sticks his fingers right in the alligator's nostrils, pulls out boogers, the alligator runs away, and Ernest says, Ew. And it's just the confidence of quickly just knowing what to do in an alligator thing is ridiculous. But also, what was that scene and why did it happen? I couldn't tell you. But I think that we do need... I, I realized... I did realize after we had done the podcast that we had not compared the overall high and low points. And I did feel immense shame, but I didn't do anything about it because I'm very lazy. Well, it's a good thing we have this one fan that definitely is interested in what we're doing. Yeah. It's the only fan that I have definitive proof that we have, so we... Probably should do what we can to keep them happy. That doesn't involve paying them money because we don't have any of that. Yeah, yeah, at least not this season. Okay, well, the high point overall that we have discussed is Ernest does a vaudeville scene where he bites a pet. And it's pretty great, and it's from Ernest Goes to Jail. Uh, And then the high point from Africa was uh, the ostrich (laughs) egg fight. don't remember. (laughs) Maybe? It's entirely possible that's what it was. Whatever it was, it's okay. not as good as the pen scene. No, it'll never be as good as the pen scene. I don't know. But we... Alright, moving on. And nothing in that movie gets close to the pen scene, so we don't have to even really remember what our high point was. Yes. But we do need to talk about the low point. And the low point that we've discussed for the series so far is just the general, overall, gratuitous threat of assault slash general sexism of poor treatment of female characters. And the low point of goes to Africa, who I believe was the Hey You sequence. Yeah, is Ernest being in brown face and doing racist impressions. Okay. Uh, which is worse. <laughs> Here's my pitch for why the Hey You is worse. Is because the end... Yes, there are multiple instances that add up to that overall low point, and they're bad, and obviously sexism is bad, so is racism. I... I don't know why you need this podcast about <laughs> Ernest to tell you these things, but <laughs> listen up, kids. <laughs> Racism's bad. Um, but uh, none of those individual moments go on for like half as long as Hey You. It's so long, and it makes it's just insufferable to, and it just and it's it's just like the other ones. They're like, oh, that sucks. It's a bummer that it's in the movie. Movies used to be bad, and sometimes they still are in this particular way. The thing with Hey You is it makes me like Jim Varney less. <laughs> it makes me disappointed in Jim Varney because he's doing all all of the things that are bad in it are things that he is doing. And, like, this is a podcast about Ernest, and then it's like, this is the worst thing Ernest has done, so it should probably be the overall low point. You know what? I don't think we're going to need our musical guest yet, so I agree with you. Ooh, a uh, the way. Guest. Musical guest. 
be excited for that later. But the thing is, I agree with you because <laughs> this is going to sound dumb. <laughs> oh, Josh, don't worry. Everything on this podcast sounds dumb. It's a dumb podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But we got to do it for the fans. The fan. fan. (laughs) But the thing is, in these movies, like, when we have, like, the general sexism, it's just bad writing. Mm -hmm. And then we have the uh, gratuitous threat of assault from, like, villainous characters. And, like, it's supposed to be, like, oh, this is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Right? We don't have Ernest just casually, like, assaulting or being sexist against women and this this one it with hey you we do have Ernest just casually being racist and it's bad and it does make you feel like that should be the film protagonist doing that so i agree mm-hmm. uh and as much as i hate the idea that we can't have both uh we gotta pick one and we pick uh hey you yeah okay. i th- i don't i would be surprised if anyone could possibly disagree with us that that isn't the worst thing that has ever happened in an Ernest movie. Also, I just want one little, little bone of contention. Josh, it wasn't casual. This was some formal-ass racism. This motherfucker, <laughs> this was some black-tie racism. Right, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about the casual racism in the movie we just watched. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a bunch more sort of laid-back, kind of chill, uh, but still extremely awful racism in this one. Yeah, but at least Ernest isn't the one doing it. No. Well, I think it's time for the synopsis, right? Uh, yeah, I can, I can, I can. And uh, just like last week, I think I got it this time. Okay. I'm ready to go. Um, sure. Here's the thing: I felt bad about last week, so uh, last night I stayed up late. I made sure I wrote down uh, the synopsis of this movie and was ready to go. And then I had this weird deja vu moment where I bumped into this random dude that looked like me. And then they ran off, and, uh, I don't know, it was very weird. But, I'm pretty sure what I have right now is a synopsis, I'm ready to go. So, here we go. The film of Ernest and the Army now starts where we have Ernest and his friend working at this discount electronics store in California. And, uh, they're goofing off and having a good time, and at a certain point they think it might be a good idea to get into the Army... And uh, they get into the army now, and uh, then things go off from there. And uh, wait, this wait, this I'm, isn't this isn't not... Ernest in the army. No, it sounds like this, this is talking about Pauly Shore. That so- it sounds what it sounds a lot like is foreshadowing paying off from like four minutes earlier in the podcast. Huh, weird. Um, I don't understand how I got the uh, synopsis to the Pauly Shore wonderful movie in the army now. Which is something we'll talk about in our second season of this podcast. But, uh, I did. So, I fucked up. My bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have you do it again, like always. And I'll just, I'll stop doing this for a while. I, I, uh, I think I need to learn my place here. Yeah, yeah. Well, so what happened? You had, like, your, you were carrying around your earnest notes and your briefcase like you always do. And you picked up the identical mm-hmm. briefcase. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Uh, no, so, unlike, well, I don't know where I was going with starting with unlike. Here's how this movie starts. <laughs> Ernest works on a golf course, collecting golf balls, but he dreams of driving a truck, I guess. 
even though he has a truck and also he drives a big truck later in the movie with like no fanfare. He also has a crush on a news reporter on TV named Cindy Swanson. He's also friends with an army guy named Ben who's played by John Cherry and he definitely sounds like a real actor and not the director. Uh, he manipulates <laughs> Ernest into joining the army reserves because of trucks, I, I guess. Uh, so Ernest does that. And then a UN dude named Colonel Gullet shows up and engages in some harrowing confectionery-based slapstick with Ernest. Gullet's gonna run an operation in a fictional Middle Eastern country called Karifistan to stop a dictator named Tafudi who has uh, stolen a Pluton missile. And Ernest's unit in the reserves is gonna provide support for this operation. Uh, and then Ben has a heart attack and is in the hospital. And that doesn't really play into the movie very much, but it happens and it, it kind of makes it seem like Ernest killed him. Also, the reporter Swanson, she's sent to Kurdistan as well. So then Ernest arrives and he befriends a child grifter who is also named Ben, and then he uses some powdered tank patch to make an armor-piercing Chekhov's pancake. Then Swanson gets kidnapped uh, by Tafudi's men, so Ernest goes to save her in the desert, and his lips peel off entirely. And then Gullet turns out to be a double agent, and he's captured by Tafudi and tied to the missile. Ernest saves Swanson and some prisoners, including Ben's dad, who's the narrator, and some kind of prophet. And then Ernest gets recaptured, but then he escapes again with the help of Ben, who's arrived now. And also they get uh, Gullet on the missile truck. There's a big chase with, like, a lot of guns getting shot at Ernest, which is weird. The pancake pays off, and Ernest uses it to defeat Tafuti. Gullet gets launched off the missile into the sand, but nothing really happens. Ben shows up... Army Ben shows up, inexplicably alive. Swanson rejects Ernest's advances because of his gross peeling lips. And then the ending implies that, inspired by Ernest, young Ben achieves peace in the Middle East. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's that's the movie. <laughs> that is the movie. And by golly, does that sound insane. That it sounds is. insane. Who wrote this movie? <laughs> I mean, John Cherry and somebody else, I think. I couldn't tell you who the other guy is. Can I just say, we're about to rate this movie, but can I just say, I had a better time listening to you describe this movie to me than I did watching it. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing is, the, in between, like, every sentence of that description, there's a bunch of boring stuff happening that's, like, just farting around. So, yeah, I'm not surprised. It definitely, like, it reading it, I, like, I, I wrote out that synopsis and I was like, this sounds fucking bonkers. What is this movie? And I was like, <laughs> it didn't feel that weird while we were watching it. No, it didn't. But so many nonsense little things contribute to the plot overall. Then I found it weird that you were even bringing them up. And I was like, oh yeah, wait, the movie plot couldn't happen if that thing didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is nonsense. Absolutely. Cool. Okay, so uh, let's let's rate this bad boy. Uh, what, what rating did you give Ernest in the Army, Nate? What rating, uh, I, what rating did I give it? Let me check. We just did the, we just did this yesterday, but I've already forgotten. I will say, while I'm checking my notes on it, that I do think this movie is significantly better than the last two. I gave it two stars. Or, or you know, uh, four out of ten. I thought it was mediocre. Like, it really was not... It's that great. There weren't a ton of laughs. There was, like, we were watching this, and there was a lot of us just kind of sitting in silence watching the movie. But it's... 
significantly better structured and paced than goes to school and it's not one of the worst movies i've ever seen like Ernest goes to africa but it's really just like it is kind of ultimately a real whimper for the Ernest franchise to go out on yeah it is i agree with your two stars out of five four out of ten rating this movie i mean you know living in modern times i think it's easy to tell this movie's plot was never going to work. It was never going to end well. No. These these kind of, like, the, the humor found in uh, pre-9-11 movies about being in the army just doesn't exist anymore. Mm-mm. So, you know, going back in time watching this, it was just wasn't going to be a good time. I don't know if it was a good time when it came out on straight to VHS. But, you know, the earnest elements are there. Some of them are slightly entertaining at times. But like you said, it's mostly just pretty boring. And then also, uh, as we mentioned, low-key racist, which is very bad. So I think while it is not as forgettable as Rides Again and not as awful as It Goes to Africa, I'm just going to put out two stars. I will say that I am sort of like weirdly thankful for this movie because if it didn't exist then goes to africa would be the last year in this movie and that would be a huge bummer yeah i mean it's still kind of a bummer that this is the last movie yeah, yeah, yeah. in the Ernest franchise i mean uh jim varney you know r.i.p he passed away in 2000 two years after this movie and there were other Ernest movies planned there specifically are notes from coke sams and john archery about a potential Ernest spaced out movie where he goes to space, an Ernest pirate movie, and an Ernest... <laughs> Here's one I'm glad didn't happen. Ernest and the Voodoo Doll. Oh no. Oh god. Oh, Which could have been <laughs> <laughs> potentially worse than Ernest in Africa, because oh my god. I'm, I'm very thankful that they did not make that. That would have been awful. <laughs> the thing is, like... I'm more sad that he passed away than I am that there were not more Ernest movies, because it really did feel like... Oh, 100%. They were kind of done with this. They don't think they really... The the team really had much left in the tank by the time they got to this one. He was also reaching the prime of his voice acting career. He was in Toy Story and Atlantis, and it's just a real bummer that I couldn't have seen more of him in other things. And it's it's just a shame. We we really miss, miss Jim Varney. Yeah. Josh knows from being friends with me that one of my favorite things to do is to tell people when somebody in one movie is also a person in another movie. (laughs) And one of the first times I experienced that joy was pointing out that the dude in Atlantis is Ernest. Yeah. Because I loved loved Atlantis. Atlantis. Yes. uh, I feel like that's very unsurprising that we were both super into that movie. (laughs) That movie is underrated and ruled. Yeah. I will die on that hill. Dude, I remember seeing that in the theater, just being so excited to fucking tell everyone about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bummer, but, uh, you know, we gotta move on. And we gotta continue talking yeah, we... about Ernest in the Army. <laughs> yes, we do. So, I'm actually curious. Before we get into the high and low points of this movie, which uh, I'm sure there's more low than high... Mm-hmm. I think we need to do, since we are kind of at the end of our Ernest journey, since uh, Dr. Otto and the Gloom Beam is not really an Ernest movie, even though Ernest is in it, uh, and we will watch that and talk about that, I think we need to do a section that I like to call From Burnest to Warnest, where we rate the Ernest movies in order 
of the burnest, the best earnest movie, and the wornest, the worst earnest movie. So, uh, Nate, I'm going to toss this grenade over to you. What is your burnest? And what is your earnest? And what's all the in-between? Or as I like to say, the in-betweenness. I will say that for me, there, I did kind of go on a little bit of a journey while we were going on this journey, uh, which like pre this podcast. A journey in a journey? Yeah. Were you also listening to Journey while you were going on that journey? Of course I was. Oh, good. Uh, but if you had asked me before we did this podcast what my favorite Ernest movie was, I would have said without a moment's hesitation that it was Scared Stupid. Me too! But that is not the case anymore. Now my favorite, I think the Burnest is Ernest Goes to Jail. I I just I just I think it's a grand old time. It's it's got one real bad part, but it's weird that for so long part of that movie was our lowest low point. But I mean, it's it's one thing that the villain does, but it's just it's so it's a I think the best kind of balance of like the totally like anarchic cartoony wackiness with like genuine heart and like an actual like reasonably structured movie. You know, I think like on one end. Like, it's sort of on the opposite end of the... One extreme is goes to school. And then I think the other extreme is, like, Rides Again, which is, like, a totally comparably constructed movie that's just not very interesting at all. So, yeah. So, I put at the top, my burnest is Ernest Goes to Jail. And I think directly under that, I would put Ernest Goes to Camp, which is, like, probably on, a, like, a technical craft level, probably the best made of all of these movies, which is weird because it's the first one. Mm-hmm. And then, let me think. And then under that, it's probably Slam Dunk. Ah, what? No, it's no, it's Scared Stupid. I'm gonna go Scared Stupid because that, like, again, it's still like a pretty solid movie. It's got the troll, like, it's got, you know, the, so that some of that like totally wild, like, Ernest is in a situation that's almost too serious for him kind of thing going on. Then under that, I'm gonna put Slam Dunk, which, like. There's lots of elements of that I enjoy. I enjoy how wild the plot is and, like, the world that it constructs, which is feels like kind of a weird thing to say about an Ernest movie. But I think the movie overall, like, it, it's just kind of okay with those elements sort of divorced from it. Then I'm going to go with Saves Christmas, which is, like, fine. It's a charming enough movie. But we talk, we've, we've sort of talked about our feelings on that. It's not super Ernest-y. And it's a little bland in parts. Then I would go with Rides Again, which is the most bland, but, like, didn't make me feel like my brain was melting. Like, <laughs> the one that's going to go under that. No, I, I guess under that is probably going to go Army. I don't know. It's just a worse movie than Rides Again. Then goes to school, which made me feel like my brain was melting. And then last, obviously, the wernest is, of course, Ernest Goes to Africa, which is straight up garbage. <laughs> yes, it is straight up earnest. That is a really great list. Good job. I think my list is similar but slightly different. Okay. My burnest, and I, we kind of disagreed on this, is Slam Dunk. Mm-hmm. I know it doesn't feel as much of an earnest movie as we've gone on this journey to define what an earnest movie is, but it's the only earnest movie that I remembered being good and then watched it again and it was exactly the way I remembered it and that made me happy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because we went so low before with Goes to School, but I rated it the highest I've rated any Ernest movie, which is a 7 out of 10. And I don't know, I just, I feel like sticking by that. So that's my Burnest, mm-hmm. followed by Goes to Camp, which again, you know, it's the first Ernest movie, and you'd think it wouldn't, 
like it'd get better from there and it'd be like they'd know what they're doing and there's more production involved and it just doesn't, which is odd. So goes to camp at uh, six slash scared stupid following that, which unlike Slam Dunk was disappointing. We talked about that where you said, and I agree with you, that if we did this before we did our podcast and said, what's your favorite starters? And we would say scared stupid because we had a different memory of that and it just didn't live up to that, which is a bummer. Yeah, it is a bummer. And then follow that up with Goes to Jail. While I agree with you that it's a well-structured movie, it doesn't look great. It really feels... Like, you really feel that return to... Like, even though it was released in theaters, it feels like a straight-to-VHS movie, which is wild. And, you know, I just... That kind of didn't click with me as a vibe. Mm -hmm. Saves Christmas follows that. Really standard line. It's an earnest movie. It's not a great earnest movie. It's pretty middle ground. Followed by In the Army, which is a worse movie, but has some memorable moments. Mm-hmm. The pancake thing, which we'll talk about, was a highlight for me and something I remembered from that movie. Rides Again, the next film, which is a worse made film, but also is completely forgettable. Yes. Uh, I couldn't remember anything from that movie at all. Mm-hmm. Then followed by Goes to School, which is just an insane garbage goo pile. And then... <laughs> My awareness is, of course, goes to Africa because I, there is no other movie that I think I've encountered thus far in my lifetime that was more awareness than goes to Africa. Yeah, I gotta say though, after listening to you say that whole list, I'm starting to think you might be a burnest bro. <laughs> I think we're both burnest bros. I think we've <laughs> discovered that through our journey in the earnest movies. We're 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 burnest bros. We're uh, sitting outside. In our mittens, mm-hmm. watching Ernest. Yep. <laughs> you'd think it'd be something we'd do inside because it no. wouldn't be so cold. But no, well, we, we the thing is, we were, we were doing it out inside, but then we were just hooting and hollering too much, and we had to go outside because we couldn't we couldn't watch Ernest and also talk in our inside voices. All right, uh, let's. Uh, what do you think? High and low points. Uh, sure, I do want to say something, though, because when I pulled up the list of all the Ernest movies to go off of, I'm on Wikipedia, and right below it is the thing about scrapped films, and mm-hmm. there's this quote from Coke Sam's talking about this Ernest voodoo curse thing, and he says yeah. that it was going to be like an idiot version of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which would have been like the third time they tried to do that. Why are they so obsessed with making an Indiana Jones movie? I don't know, but we'll... like. In the Army also felt like an Indiana Jones movie yeah. at points. Because Ernest has a kid sidekick and a Marion. Yes. They really wanted to make an Indiana Jones movie. It's wild. I kind of wish they had got... Like, this is bad. I don't want Ernest in the Voodoo Curse. I do kind of wish they had been allowed to just make, like, a comedy Indiana Jones movie with Jim Varney. That didn't necessarily even have to be an Ernest movie. Yeah, it could have been, like... Uh, well, to go on brand with what we're talking about right now, it could have been like a Delta farce. But instead of comedy actors being oh, in the army, it could have been... You. How dare you reference been... Delta farce on this podcast? I had to. We're talking about army movies. <sighs> I love uh, it. it could have been Ernest is a dumb idiot Indiana Jones. He could have been Illinois Smith. They could have made an Illinois Smith movie, and it could have fucking been great. But no. Like, it didn't even have to be, like, an Ernest movie. It could just be a Jim Barney, Illinois Smith movie, and it would have been great. Okay, but I'm just saying, please, if don't reference Delta Farce until we do our our 
soon-to-be classic miniseries on the films of DJ Qualls. Qualls well that ends well. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert. Qualls won't end well. I, what do you think the last movie he was in is? I mean, I mean, he's still he's still making movies, I assume, or TV or whatever the hell he's doing. I don't know about movies, but he was in uh, a recent series of Fargo. He was in the third season of Fargo oh. as like a minor antagonist who eventually gets his head chopped off. And it was weird because he's usually like uh, this like side funny character. Like they did a really good version of that with him in Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. In Fargo, he was just like a, a psychopath, and it was like wild. And he, he did a good job of it, so it was surprising. Do you think he was? This was him being like, finally, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get my shot after Elijah Wood took that role in Sin City. <laughs> oh man, he would have been great in Sin City. Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer. The other thing I was going to say is I'm totally down for these, like, late 90s, early 2000s comedy actors doing, like, wild roles in prestige TV. Because the first thing I thought of when you were talking about that was uh, Matthew Lillard in Twin Peaks The Return. And that was great. Oh, dude. Yeah, that was awesome. He was one of the best parts of that insane series that you like way more than I do. I I love it very much, and that should be totally unsurprising to anyone that's listening to this podcast. Alright, let's do high points and low points. Yeah, let's talk more about Ernest, because that's what we're on the season. Yes. So, I'll start. We Mm -hmm. have brought this up a few times, but I think my biggest high point of this movie is Chekhov's pancake. (laughs) I agree. The whole pancake bit is actually really funny. I think they do a really good job with it. So, uh... Just to detail it quickly, Ernest becomes the chef and decides to make pancakes. And the way he teaches Ben Ali to make pancakes is he throws four whole eggs, shell and all, into a bin. Mm -hmm. Puts in a whole box of pancake mix. And then puts in at least a gallon of hose water. Yeah, which, like, sprays all of the pancake mix, like, out of the bowl when he goes to spray it. Yeah, and so then he has to uh, fill in more pancake mix, and he instead grabs a bowl of... Powdered tank patch. Yes, and uses that instead and creates, surprisingly, a good-looking pancake when you think he wouldn't. They kind of look like flatbreads, though. Yeah, a little bit. I was just like, that looks like, you know... Looks like I want to dip that in some curry. <laughs> was all I could think every time I looked at those those very heavy pancakes he makes. Yeah, they're like insanely heavy and everybody complains and is unable to eat them. Ernest, with help from Ben, is able to bite down into one, but then just tries to wash it down with martyr oil, which is just in the kitchen and can't, and then just spits it out at some point. Uh, also, at one point before he cooks the pancakes, he gets his tongue stuck to the stove and does yeah. a really funny bit which is also part of this high point where he asks Ben Ali to help him by getting a babada and they go back and forth in this a little bit do you want a babada no you want a babada 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 and then he's like oh in my country we just call this a spatula and then gives her a spatula to get it off and that was a good bit yeah there's lots of little nested good bits in this whole heavy, whole uh tank pancake thing because the, like, physical bit of the, like, little pancake being super heavy and it's, like, bending the spatula when he's, like, lifting it up. And, like, it's making clanging noises when anybody touches it. And he throws it and it, like, stick, it, like, pierces into the armor on, like, one of the personnel carriers. 
And he's like, ah, they hate when you put, when you throw pancakes at our, these personnel carriers. And he implies this always happens because he's, Ben Ellie is like, you, you know this? He's like, yeah, it's only, it happens a bunch, just only on pancake day. Yeah, that's a good, that's a solid high point. I got a high point. Go for it. This is a return of the two guys, sort of. That's your high point? That's crazy. Here's what here's what it is. One, I like that the two guys are back because there's just more stuff going on in the movie now. There's a lot of stuff going on in the movie. There's a lot of stuff going on in the movie. So the two guys this time around are the same dudes who played the salesman in Rides Again. I think that they're funnier in this though. Oh, they're way better in this. Yeah, the the one with the mustache, the bigger guy is playing the general and the other dude is playing his very horny aide. Um <laughs> No, you're right. Like, a lot of my notes about this guy, who I just label as, like, a press guy, is that he does stuff that is really horny. He's very horny. I mean, he basically gets the reporter, the, like, job being embedded with them in Karifistan just because he's he's trying to smash. Yeah, and it's very clear that he's trying to smash by the way they set up the scene when the entire time he's talking to her, he's playing with his gun. Yeah, also in that part, this is just a minor high point for me. In that part where he's playing with his gun, he, like, ejects the magazine and it slams him in the nuts. And I thought that was funny. Um, but what I like about this two guys bit is how much the, like, the general is, like, a totally narcissistic, like, press-obsessed moron. Like, he's just, like, totally, like, this, like, empty-headed goof who's obsessed with, like, his public image. And it felt, like, weirdly... <laughs> like, trenchant satire for an earnest movie. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, this whole operation, the whole reason he's doing any of this is because he wants to look good and he's only concerned with, like, talking to the press and coming across, like, a war hero. And uh, I was like, wow, I respect this movie for going for that and not just having, like, the head army guy be, like, heroic. Like, this movie felt much less, like, propaganda than I thought it was going to. And I think a big part of that is the portrayal of the general. It didn't. I'm not saying it doesn't feel like propaganda at all, because it does. There's there's one thing that I will bring up later. Okay. That like is clear propaganda. But they don't like the army looks pretty crummy in this movie, mm -hmm. which I sort of appreciate. So yeah, so that's one of my high points. Okay, my next high point is again food related. <laughs> Uh, it's the ooey gooey gummy toads that Ernest is obsessed with trying to eat and just continually chewing. And at one point, he's in the army roll call, learning from Colonel Gola that they're going to be shipped out. And Ernest complains that uh, he can't be shipped out because he has golf ball catching to do. Uh, it's not really understood what his job is in this movie. Because, like, he's a golf ball catcher, but also the golf ball thing is on the army base. I don't... It's weird. I don't think the golf ball thing is on the army base. I think it's just near the army base. Anyway, Gullick gets to Sarah Ernest. He goes with Ernest. He's like, finish your food and get rid of it. And Ernest eats all the gummy, gooey gooey gummies and puts them in his mouth. And then he says, also the box. And Ernest <laughs> looks at the box and looks at Colonel Gullick and then just shrugs and eats the box. Yeah, that was going to be one of my high points was just him eating the box. Uh, you don't really see it. You just, like, see him put the box near his mouth and it cuts away from him and he just, like, closes his hands around his mouth and uh, it's implied that he ate the box. And then he's, like, chewing everything with the box and the gum and, like, he can't, like, swallow it. And then Gullet punches him in the stomach, says, stick your stomach in, have proper posture. And then Ernest spits out 
everything on Colonel Gold's face, and he looks like a monster from like like an 80s or 90s movie. Like he looks like the Blob. He looks like it's just super slimy and super disgusting. And there's this whole scene of them trying to get it off, and it's it's pretty great. Yeah, this movie had a greatly increased slime budget. There's a lot of a lot of goop in this movie for some reason. This is probably the biggest one. But yeah, I I I, I enjoy a good uh, sliming when it happens from time to time. Yeah, it's almost like uh, you're a slimer. That's just, they have said that about me in the past. Mm-hmm. It's your next one. Did I steal your box one? You did. You did. I was gonna say the box thing. Do I have another high point? Is I have a third one that I have to contend with right now. You can. Why don't you say your third one? Because I'm not really seeing another one in my notes for me. All right, my third one is a small one. It's just the concept of Ernest driving a cart to catch golf balls. Because the way it's set up is ridiculous. Ernest is on the hood of the golf cart with a net manually catching golf balls that are out in the field that people have golfed and balled and put in the field. Mm-hmm. That's how golf ball works. And works. he's driving the cart perfectly with just the tips of his feet from in front of the car. Yeah, and that ends up being a setup for the climax of the movie. <laughs> yeah, which is wild. But just in the uh, the ongoing journey of Ernest having wacky adventures with driving. I think this is pretty in line with that, and it was enjoyable. And those are my high points. I guess, if I had to, if I did have to pick one last high point, I do not have one. <laughs> okay. That's fair. This movie <laughs> doesn't have much to work with. So, do you want to uh, pick a high point to go against a high point from me, and then we'll duke it out for the high point of the high points of this movie? Sure. Uh, but can my high point just be when Ernest eats that box? Yeah, because my high point will be the Chekhov's pancake slash spatula bit. Oh, okay. Oh, man, the pancake bit is actually the best, though. Like, the whole of the pancake bit, if we're counting all of it, and and the payoff as, like, one thing, like, there's the pancake as, like, a, a symbol, you know, in this movie. Like, the pancake thing really is the best part of this movie. Okay, well, do you want to agree then and just put our uh, musical wheel guest on hold for a second as we talk about low points? Yeah, I guess I guess I do, as much as it pains me, I do have to agree with you. Okay, so we're, we're agreeing that the best high point is Chekhov's Pancake. Now, before we get an angry letter from our fan, we should compare this with the high point of the Ernest Vaudeville scene and goes to jail. And again, to be honest, I think the Vaudeville scene continues to win. It's the undefeated champ. I think even though the Pancake bit is really funny and a high point in this movie full of low points... The vaudeville scene, again, just by itself, is hilarious. You don't even need a movie around it. You need a movie around the Chekhov's pancake part. You don't need a movie around the vaudeville scene. What do you think? I agree. Oh, no. It's We're going to keep agreeing again. <laughs> but no, I agree. I think the I think the, the pen thing is better. It's just more elegant. As much as like, I like the pancake thing, so much of it is built around like just doing more and more stuff with the pancake, whereas I think the pen bit is so clean and simple and it's the way that it's making me feel tonight it's hard to let it go but and i lost I, I, I remembered kingdom hearts and lost what i was gonna say but yeah <laughs> the, the pen part's better <laughs> I, I forgot that you can only keep a certain amount of things in your brain at a time once you remember a certain franchise you have to disregard a complete other franchise and it just it's difficult you need to get more ram installed in your brain um, yeah <laughs> okay so 
I guess I have to do this then. Announcing the burnest scene of all. The best high point in any Ernest movie. It is the undefeated vaudeville pen scene. Yes, this is from Ernest Goes to Jail, and Ernest um, has a pen in his mouth, and it's very funny. And that's the best thing that happens in any Ernest movie. We did it. We found it. We found it a while ago, and uh, it, it seems like we shouldn't have had to keep doing this to compare, but we did. And uh, here we are. All right. You want to move on to low points? Let's move on to low points. And I got one word for you. It is four letters. And uh, I feel like you might feel the same. We got to talk about lips. I don't know if this is like more. Um, you don't like this. You're more affected by this than I am. I do think it's gross. And it's weird that the movie lingers on it so much. But yeah, there's a lot of. It's set up very early when Ernest is being told. That he's going to have to go to Karifistan. And he says, I can't go to Karifistan. I don't know anybody there. Also, my lips are going to peel. And then that's <laughs> uncommented on for quite a while until he's wandering through the desert. And he peels the entire, like, top layer of skin off of both of his lips. Uh, and he goes, mm, my lips are peeling. And he drops the, the lip skin on the ground like he's a snake <laughs> that has shed his skin. <laughs> It's very gross. And then, uh, I think it's Ben, right, who's tracking Ernest yep. in the desert, and he finds the lips. Can we just call him Ben Ali from now on so we don't keep getting confused with yes. the other character named Ben in this fucking movie? Yeah, except, like, the other Ben is, like, barely in the movie. But yeah, Ben Ali finds the lips, and he picks them up with his human hands and looks at them, and he goes, lips. So <laughs> <laughs> <And laughs> now... that you uh you commented to me during this scene that you had some weird memory or you made the joke again from the last time we saw this movie i wanted uh, him to put or... the lips on his lips i'm sorry i'll just say it right now I th- it would have been really gross but i thought it would have been funny if he picked up Ernest's lips and put them on his own lips <laughs> and then he had two he had double lips and they were Ernest's lips and i'm sorry my brain conjured that image and i couldn't stop thinking about it and it's the worst <laughs> but okay. he doesn't do that but i think he does take them with him he does. We see him drop him. He does, and then again, the lips are brought up later in the fucking movie at the end, where Ernest can't get the girl because he, uh, Cindy, gives him a kiss as a thank you, and then the lips Isn't... of Ernest are on. <laughs> yeah, and she pulls Ernest's lips off of her lips, and she goes lips, and then peels them <laughs> off. Is disgusted, and then Ernest uh, loses his chance with. <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's so awful. Like I understand that I am more affected by this than you are, but it's just like it really grosses me out. Can I make a confession? Yeah, I love the lips thing. I think it's really funny. <laughs> oh, I admit that it's very gross, but I think it's hilarious. And I laughed. I laughed every time it happened. I mean, it was kind of like a <laughs> sort of laugh, but uh, no, I like the lips part. I don't think it's a low point. I maybe okay. would have even should have even said it was my last high point. It's, I was actually kind of surprised you didn't. I was expecting. <laughs> okay, well, so that's my low point and only my low point. That's fine. Uh, you go. Okay. Hmm. Well, there's a big one, which is there's like a lot of like white savior stuff in this. Yeah. 
so the movie like opens, I believe, with narration from a character that we will later learn is Ben Ali's father, who is this guy with like a very commanding sounding voice, like with a lot of gravitas, delivering a prophecy about a a savior who is like an American who is obviously going to be Ernest, and then Ernest is that savior, and he comes to a foreign country and saves a bunch of not white people while being a white guy, and they all praise him. And, like, the movie is even clearly aware of what it's doing because there's a part where Ernest has, like, a Lawrence of Arabia-themed dream sequence mm-hmm. where he's, he is, like, T.E. Lawrence. Yeah. That stuff's not great. It's, it really has not aged well. I don't think it was particularly great at the time either. It's, like, it's it's, again, though, it's not that, like, it's not skin crawling like the Hey You thing, but it is like every time it cop pops up in the movie, you're like, okay, yeah, all right, man. So the, that is definitely a low point, a general sort of movie-wide low point for me. Well, to add to that and to really get your skin crawling is my next low point. We got to talk about Ben Ali and his relationship to Ernest. The thing with this is most of the time in the movie, I actually think it's pretty good. Like... They play off each other well enough. The kid is charming and not annoying like a lot of kid actors are. But he, like, Ernest saves him from some very, some like, getting beat up by some dudes. And then he kids. swears, like, a... Yeah, I guess other kids. kids. <laughs> some, picture some you're painting of just some dudes. <laughs> I can't realize now that's, that's inaccurate. Yeah, they're kids. They're other kids. They're beating him up. But... Ben seems to be operating under the assumption that they were going to, like, kill him, which is wild. And he, like, swears a life debt to Ernest. It's, like, they could have just been friends. He could have just befriended this kid. But now he, like, owes him a life debt. And for most of the movie, they're just interacting and it's fine. It's just like, this kid likes Ernest and he looks up to him and he's grateful that he helped him. And it's cool. Like, Ernest is friends with kids. That happens all the time. And then every so often, he calls Ernest Master, and it's mm-hmm. very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and I do not mm-hmm. like it, and I wish mm-hmm. it wasn't in the movie. Yep, that's my low point. The Slave Master bit with Ben Ali, because we have this little African kid, or um, Middle Eastern kid, depending on the plot, I don't know. It's never really established what his uh, thing is, but regardless, we have this little kid calling Ernest Master, and Ernest is the white guy, and it's it's bad. It's real bad. It is uh, skin crawlingly bad. So he's, he's South African. I mean, I don't know what he's supposed to be in the movie, but they that's the actor that's what I was trying to say. African. Like, we don't know what the the movie thing is. Well, I guess he's Karifa Stani, right? Uh, but again, know. it's unclear. So regardless, yeah. I mean, they really do not. This is kind of a low point, too. They really do not do a good job of making Kurdistan feel like a real place. It feels like it is totally empty. Like, there are, like, two buildings in this country. And one is, like... And then there's the army camp, and that's it. And that's, like... There's no, like, people. It's just, like... It seems like everyone that lives in the country, I guess, was captured by President Tafuti. But there are also... There's only, like, 15 of them. Yeah. Yeah, it just really doesn't feel real. Like doesn't they don't do a good job with world building at all. So yeah, that's that was my low point. It's it's real bad. I I'm hesitant to say because the lips really skewed me out, but it's worse than the lip stuff. Yeah, I definitely think it's worse than lip stuff. <laughs> What's your next low point? Uh, this movie's just kind of boring. 
Yeah. Like, isn't this really a specific thing? But there's a lot of, like, nothing happening. Just, like, sequence after sequence of Ernest just, like, in the army camp. And the plot is just hanging around in the background, just sort of waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think it's not like, again, this is this is just like a general complaint about the movie. It's not like a fucking awful, awful thing you can really pinpoint, but it is, um, is boring. It's a boring movie. Yep. It sure is. Okay. I have a couple more low points, so we'll run through them real quick. First one is a common thread throughout Ernest Films, which is awful. And a bummer, and was our low point for the, wa- the longest time. The threat of sexual assault again. Oh no, it happens Ooh, in yeah, this it movie. Does that does happen. The fuck, John R. Cherry? Come on. Yeah. At a certain point, Colonel Gullet tries to flirt with Cindy and takes her out to a place where she can get an inside scoop, and then puts the moves on her, and she clearly isn't interested. And then he tries to force himself on her like there's no doubt about it that happens and then she is quote unquote saved from this by two fruities men who then capture them and then later on in this movie i made a point of like getting upset by this uh where colonel gullet is apologizing to her just for being in an area where two fruity was he never apologized for the attempted rape. That's what he apologizes oh. for. It's fucking awful. Yeah, that's real bad. That's very bad. Bad bad part of the movie. Thankfully, it's not a thing that, like, is belabored upon. Like, very quickly, the situation changes because, you know, they get captured, and then it just becomes, like, a like a rescue mission thing. But, yeah, no. No good. We already... He's a bad guy. He's gonna betray everyone to, to steal a nuclear missile. Like, we don't need... <laughs> more we don't need him to be even more awful we get that he's bad Mm -hmm. and he hates Ernest, which is like again is enough for him to be the antagonist Mm -hmm. be unantagonist do you have any more low points or should i just run through my last two Uh, just run through yours i don't know if i really have anything else my last two the first one is uh the opening of this film we don't get our standard goofy opening we get a dark that's true awful setting the tone opening of just like this seemingly massacred camp but there's no bodies just a bunch of armor and guns lying around and the voiceover narration of the war and torn countries of the middle east needing peace and constantly being dealt with and alluding to the white savior stuff later on but just the opening is just it's like why am i watching this movie i don't want to watch this this is awful yeah i mean like the joke is that all that dramatic stuff just leads up to hey Ernest is in this movie but it really doesn't stick the landing, and I would have much preferred, I guess, a goofier opening, though I'm not entirely sure what that would have been. Maybe Ernest in boot camp or something? I mean, yeah, that would have been good. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know. It's just, this, like I said earlier, this movie's plot was a bad idea to begin with and should never have happened. But, you know, there, there could have been more than just this opening that made me, like, just want to stop watching this movie immediately. Mm-hmm. And finally, my last low point, least of low points, is all the weird Russian stuff about them wanting Kirfiskistan to get invaded and Colonel Gullet secretly working for them. Like, the scenes with the two Russian guys, which really have this giant, like, uh, Captain... Not Captain, what's the... Are you thinking about Inspector Gadget? Yeah, the... 
I literally call the that claw. character in my notes Dr. Claw. Yeah, it's basically they're doing a Dr. Claw ripoff. And those scenes are just so bland and awful. And I don't understand why they're happening. And they could have been cut out the movie entirely and it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, I agree. I didn't I didn't think they were that bad. I was honestly going to talk about them in, the, in a later segment. But, I mean, we could talk about them now. Yeah, I guess they're just there to give context for why Gullet is a villain. But there's like too many of them and also he could have just been like i am a double agent at the end of the movie and it would have made exactly no difference yeah and every time it was happening i was just like Ugh, we're doing this again why why are we doing this yeah. again yeah it's like if they did it's it reminds me of the british spy stuff in rides again except like at least those guys show up and do something that affects the plot by the end of the movie yeah not so much with this no, the only closing sequence you get to that is Colonel Gold is captured, I guess. And it never goes back to those two Russian guys. So, fun. Uh, that is my entirety of low point. Do you want to do the pick a low point thing? Yeah, I think, like... I think, like, the Ben Ali Master stuff is the low point for me. Because while the, like, White Savior stuff hangs over the whole movie... Again, it's, like, one of those things where it's just, like, this is an unfortunate trope that pervaded movies of a certain era and that certain era being almost all of the existence of movies and all of uh, western fiction but the thing with the ben stuff is it like is a it kind of fucks up a part of the movie that i otherwise like yeah i agree with that um but i can't agree with it for this section because we can't hold off our wheel anymore <laughs> no i can't uh so i i have to pick this is gonna be fun theme of our podcast i have to pick the sexual assault even though i in my heart of hearts i want to pick the lips i have to pick the sexual assault stuff which is bad and unnecessary and doesn't need to be there and what the fuck john r cherry uh so we're gonna pit sexual assault (laughs) against low-key racism and see what the This podcast, this is why this is why I'm anti-civilization now, because the existence <laughs> of culture over time has made it so that we can't even do a fun podcast about Ernest without having to talk about all this awful <laughs> shit that pervades all of history and makes everything miserable. Well, right. I think I think we've got to introduce our, uh, our guest to help us out with this nightmare. So, introducing the lovely, the musical, drumroll please, Nate. <laughs> Wheel Young! Woo! Woohoo! So glad to have yeah, you, Wheel been, Young. He's been really excited. He's been in the green room talking about electric cars all day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wheel, um, what do you think? Who do you agree with? He agrees with you, Josh. And also he wants you to buy an electric car. That's uh, why I have to buy an electric car. I, I mean, I was I was thinking about saving up money to uh, get Zach back from the eco-terrorist, even though it's not within our budget. Use my personal funds. But if I gotta buy an electric car instead, I'll buy an electric car. That's fine. Hey, you got off easy. Uh, while he was in the green room, he talked me into buying one of those weird Pono MP3 players he was promoting. Like a triangular, high-fidelity MP3 player you can't use with, like, anything. So, consider <laughs> yourself lucky. Well, you know, uh, we sincerely appreciate having Wheel Young on board with us. Glad you're here. Okay, so the lowest low point of this movie is the sexual assault. 
Um. Oh no. How does? <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. I can't. It's the, we, we had have... this conversation. We already, we already had this conversation. Had this conversation. So we can't have this conversation again. It's Hey You. It's Hey You. It has to be Hey You. Yes. That's what it is. I'm sorry. It's just... When we... It's when worst. we pitch our perfect earnest film, and when we pitch any perfect film for whatever genre or over... Oeuvre. Oeuvre. Thank you. We will never have sexual assault as part of it. Ever. No. We're not going to touch that ever. at all, ever. That's not for us to deal so, with. So just, just to have that be clear... And uh, we're going to move on from here before I start putting a pencil in my eye. We we're also not going to be racist. <laughs> so yes. I want people to know that. We're not like, we won't do that, but maybe we'll do a little race. No, we won't. No racism. We're not going to be racist. This podcast is for everybody, and the movies that we're going to pitch that are, will never exist are also going to be for everybody. Correct. So, with a heavy heart, I have to announce... The lowest low point of the Ernest franchise in general. The Ernest is Hey You Boo oh, You suck. You suck. Boo. Get out of here. Bad, bad part of a movie. Okay, so that's our that's our locked in low point. We, cool. We're good though, right? Like we never have to talk about that again, right? Uh well no, because we're gonna avoid putting it into our pitch perfect earnest movie. So Cool. All right, great. Awesome. Uh, uh, what's the next segment on this here podcast, Josh? Well, we have our timeline stuff. We have, uh, I have another theory for this movie that I want to talk about. Me and my wacky theories. Or, you know, you and I, in our past, we've been, uh, we've been too horny on this podcast sometimes. And it happens, you know, we talk about horny movies. Uh, I think you and I just need to get, uh... What do I think you and I just need to get our souls cleaned and cleansed and meet each other in the baffle booth and confess our baffles to God. The bubble bath? Yeah, I reskinned uh, re yeah, it to let's... get a baffle booth. We can... Whatever. You know, I'm still gonna get wet. And... Wait, nope. You said you said it was too, we were too warm. <laughs> see? Never mind. You see? Disregard this is I my said. point. <laughs> Look, the quarantine's been going on for so long. <laughs> say, say our Hail Marys to God. Let's step into the booth. Alright, in the, the baffle booth. Do you want me to start? I can start. Okay, you start. I got one. Get, get us baffled. There's a part... There's a part, you might have written down the quote, I, I I don't know. You're more apt to do that than I. But there's a part where the general is talking and he's like, yeah, you gotta break down your enemy's spirit and demoralize them. That's how I met my wife. And we both had to, like, stop the movie and re-listen to it and try to puzzle over what that means. And the problem with that line is the met part because, like, what was he doing? Was he demoralizing a different enemy? Was his wife his enemy? It's just, like... It creates a strange and dark narrative that is confusing to me. Yeah, that's a good ad. I had that on my list too because it was like, what? What does he mean? What is? What? Is, how? I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did it. That's uh, that's a good one. What do you got? I want to start at the beginning of this movie. Uh, we have had various weird sound effects in this movie, but there's two in particular that I want to point out. Okay. The first one is when we first are introduced to Tutti Frutti, and he is also golfing. 
This movie yeah. has a weird affinity with golf, but he is golfing and hitting uh, the skeletons of soldiers, and they're not like these aren't like dead like bodies. These are like cartoon Halloween skeletons mm-hmm. with like a, a army helmet on it. And uh, as he shoots his golf balls, there's a sound effect for these golf balls, and it really undercuts what they're trying to do with this scene, and it's crazy. And it just goes zoom. Yeah. Zoom. It's as crazy as like the lion yawning in Ernest Goes to Africa, where it's like, whose idea was this? Why? Yeah, I just want to be clear, though, just so people understand. He hits the golf ball and it goes, and then it hits the bleached, picked clean bones of a dead soldier in the desert. Uh huh. It's that's one of those darkest images in an Ernest movie, and then. Yeah, and then the sound effect. Yeah, I I agree. That definitely belongs here in the booth. <laughs> I got I got one right. that's a similar on a similar sort of tip, which is so Ben has a heart attack while they're getting yelled at by the general because of the thing with the gooey ooey gooey gummy toads. Then he's yeah, in but the, they also set up the heart attack a lot. <laughs> yeah, he's eating every scene you see before that, and then. He's well. First off, I guess I I've realized now as I'm saying it, another candidate for for inclusion of this booth is the fact that John Cherry put himself in the movie for like the first time ever, and what he decided he wanted to do was play a character who has a heart attack and is then written out of the movie for the most of it. <laughs> whose main character trait is he tricks Ernest into joining the army reserves and is always eating. So that's something. And then also there's this whole. Thing. I have it in my notes as Grim Hospital Slapstick, where Ernest goes to visit him in the hospital and accidentally brutalizes him and, like, sets off his, like, EKG and, then, like, is fucking around with his oxygen mask and it's, like, he leaves and it's not really resolved and, like, the movie kinda, I think, wants you to think Ernest killed him. Because he be- <laughs> then befriends a kid who has the same name as his friend and it's like, oh, there's emotional weight there. And then when Ben shows up at the end, Ernest is like, you're okay? And it's like, did the movie want me to think that Ernest killed his friend with comedy in the hospital? Yeah, it's crazy. Like, you even, later on, as we watch the movie, you pitched a better version of having Ben be in this movie. (laughs) Where he comes back as a ghost. Use the pancake, Ernest. (laughs) Yes, Ernest, you killed me. But I forgive you. Yeah, so that's a that's a big one for me. You got another one? I do have another one. So I kind of foreshadowed this earlier. There is a, just a whole army recruit scene in this movie where John Archery and his son, uh, Junior Archery. <laughs> that's sorry. another another <laughs> thing. Is that like a ma- I guess not major, but like a secondary character that's in a lot of this movie is played by John R. Cherry's son. And he definitely sounds like a real actor and not like the son of the director. Yeah, totally. And this scene is especially noticeable of that with both of them. Because this scene plays out like a commercial where they're getting Ernest fitted to be in the army. They replace Ernest's regular hat with an army hat that looks the same. They replace Ernest's vest with a re- with an army vest, which looks the same. It's got a name and, tag. Uh, it's got a name tag, Private Oral. Good joke. I guess. And then they do this thing to the camera where they sing about being army people and spell out army people, but instead of spelling out people, they spell out poople. And it's like John Archery and Ernest get confused. Like, poople? And then uh, John Archery's son, whose name in the movie is Corporal Davis, is like, what's wrong with poople? 
And yeah. it's it the whole scene is just like, what are they doing? Why? Why is this happening? Why are they trying to get me to join the army and be an army poople? Yeah, but like it's also undercut by the fact that like they they basically are like, eh, it'll be funny. We get to hang out in the army reserves and we don't do anything. And then immediately he's sent to do something and it sucks. So I don't really know where the movie stands. But yeah, that is like pretty much just an army recruitment ad in the middle of this movie. I say I would say also a candidate for something in the baffle booth is the inclusion of his son as like this nothing character. And then also, I know like we've been talking about the movie and like when I recapped it and stuff, we keep using the phrase army person and army people. And it sounds like, oh, we're doing like a world, you know, people on the internet in the 21st century, we're doing like a fun, like, you know, fucking like post Buffy thing with the words. No, they just, they just use the phrase army person like constantly in this movie. Yeah. More specifically army people. That's just like their thing. Yeah. Like uh, at the end of the movie, Ben's like, hey, Ernest, you're army people now. And Ernest is like army people. Yeah. Do real army people say army people? Because it sounds like a thing. I'm, it sounds like the thing I'm saying because I don't know anything about the army and I don't respect the troops. I don't know. Let's move on from that. Do you have a another confession for the baffle booth? Uh, every time they cut to the Russian guys, there's like a weird like. It's just a screen on a stand. Yeah. Serve no other purpose, but it's just placed directly in front of the main guy's head, so you can't see his head. It's almost like a freestanding version of like the screen in a limousine. Yeah, but it's also like a like a projector screen that you pull down and do your PowerPoint slide on. Yeah, but you can like kind of see the guy through it. Weird yeah. stuff. Uh, that is a good one. That is that is a good one. I want to get back to noises. Because uh, we got to talk about cat noises. Yeah, what the, yeah. <laughs> you know what, you're right. <laughs> there are two random cat noises in this movie that both of us were just immediately baffled by. Uh, the first is, <laughs> I don't know if this is intentional or not, but the first is when Ben and Ernest are talking to the general and the cl- door closes behind them and the door makes a fucking cat noise. Like, it literally just sounds like, Aow! Yeah. And then that I can forgive because it's like maybe the door just sounds like that. Later on in this fucking movie, instead of, like, a Wilhelm scream, we have a uh, dude leaving a tank that's about to explode because he's being shot at, and the way he leaves is we hear a cat noise. And, like, that had to be intentional. And, like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, it's definitely a cat noise. (laughs) I was, like, with you where I was like, oh, you know, whatever with the door. And then that happened, and I was like, well, that probably was intentional with the door. And I don't get it. It's weirdly like the opposite of the lion thing in Ernest Goes to Africa. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's crazy. It just could they not get the licensing for the Wilhelm scream, which is used in like every movie ever? Maybe yeah, they're trying to start a new one where you make a guy make a cat noise. Uh, yeah, Wilhelm's cat. Uh, I I got the last one that I have. I think is when they're escaping from Tofuti. Cindy Swanson at one point just yells, "They're using real bullets." But like, yeah, of course they are. Why, why would why uh, would they not be using real bullets? There, I don't know why you would need to point that out. It's like more for our sake than anyone else. Is like we're really in danger, trying- audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, I got a few more. We got to talk about the barbed wire fence uh, because this baffled both of us. Mm-hmm. Where Ernest uh, gets to a barbed wire poison tip fence that is guarding to Prudy's camp and he and he's like I got this and then immediately proceeds to run into it and then gets electrocuted 
for some reason. Yeah. Because that, that wasn't part of the warning. But he doesn't get polarized. He doesn't get polarized, but he does create an earnest character outline of the fence that he could sneak through now because he melted his way through it, I guess. I don't know how that works. But in addition to that is the two giant fists that this outline has. Yeah, the outline is, one, way thicker than Ernest, and two, has giant arms, but also one arm is way bigger than the other arm for some reason. Yeah, it's like he's a Trogdor arm. Yeah, or he's like that guy from Lady in the Water. Yeah, it's just, it's weird. It is very weird. It's really, really draw attention to the fact that it's way bigger than Ernest because he escapes back through it later. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's not, that's not how Ernest shaped. No. Ernest is smaller than that. Yeah, Ernest isn't that thick. No. I mean, Ernest is thick, but really just with one stick. <laughs> this is why we gotta confess our sins, Nate. <laughs> uh, okay. Run run through the last couple real quickly. The secret word being channel, where Ernest gets Cindy's hint that they're hid in Sector 32, which she says Channel 32, and does eventually storm off the Sector 32, but for some reason it's convinced that the secret word is channel, and then this never comes up again. Yeah. Uh, what's up with that? It's a, it's a weird inclusion. I thought the bit was kind of funny, where he like clearly gets the wrong thing, but then they didn't really like, they didn't really have like the connection to like, he does get it right, but like they didn't write the part where somehow he goes from the wrong answer to the right answer. He just ends up going to the right place for no reason. Yeah, it's just... He could just have him get it right. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, the scene where Ernest seemingly kills himself in front of everyone. Oh, yeah. There's a part where he's got he gets a gas mask stuck on his face, and then he takes the, like, example that Gullet is showing them of, like, the deadly gas that Tafuti uses, and he use, tries to use the gas can to peel his mask off and blows a bunch of deadly gas in his face and then falls over. And that's like, aha, uh-huh, funny slapstick. But then it's like, you think about it for a second, and you're like... To all onlookers, what it looks like is Ernest just tried to kill himself. I mean, he does fall down, and it's like, it looks like he succeeded. Yeah, and then uh, the gas that he gets uh, from is in this, like, sports drink container? Yeah, it's clearly like a sports drink. It looks like you won it at, like, SeaWorld. Uh, It's wild. Uh, Okay, the whole narrator bit of this movie, where the narrator doing the white savior bit is there's this random prisoner. who's also been Ali's dad is crazy and weird. And we don't got to talk about it more, but it is baffling. And then also the charm, this fucking charm that Ben Ali has throughout this movie. They try to sell to people to get money and then try sells to earn it successfully. And then uses it eventually as a skeleton key is weird. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, I don't, it didn't make sense, but you know, I, I think that's it for me, and it sounds like you're done, so I think we're finished our confession. So we'll say 15,000 Hail Marys and try to stop be less horny and move on to the next section. Okay. What is the next section? Are we doing essentials? Or do we want to talk about the timeline? I, let's do essentials. Let's let's knock out essentials. Okay. What's, I mean, it's the hat and vest. I know, that's always the first thing we talk about. Um, it's never not been here. Yeah, but, I mean, I think, like, why we keep it on this list is because they always have to, like, do something with it. Well, I think it is just, like, it just, it does have to be there. Like, whether or not it even plays into the movie at all, he's got to wear the hat and vest. Right, but there's also, like, good segments of, like, addressing the hat and the vest. Like, in this movie, where they replace his hat with an army hat, it's the same. And they replace the vest with an army vest, and Mm -hmm. it's the same. Yeah, all right. 
Uh, low status with ambition slash uh, class struggle. Not really. The thing is, his like I said in the synopsis, his ambition seems to just be to drive a truck. It's not great. And I feel like this movie could have benefited by him having a more clear goal. Eventually, it becomes this thing about saving Cindy Swanson. And it's like, you guess he has a crush on her. But it's it's like, it's not super compelling or like, you know, it's not a constant thread through the movie. Yeah, we get two um, scenes of him like having like these, like in his mind, in Ernest's mind palace. He has these presentations of one Ernest selling motorized vehicles for the army and all this army stuff, and he fucks it up as he's doing it. And then the other one is a Lawrence Arabia one where he slowly sinks to the sand, where he just doesn't like the ambition's not clear of what he actually wants in these things, and it doesn't help us get like a real good motivating point for Ernest. Besides, he just wants to go to the army to hang out with his buddy Ben. Yeah. Uh, but I still think that this is an essential. It's definitely an essential, and it's definitely a weak part of this movie that doesn't have that. Quote, crafts, quote, man. Uh, not really in this. He no. Really, I mean, he, he makes pancakes, but that's not a contraption. No. And I think, like, this definitely needs to stay on the list as well, because this is a high point of other Ernest movies, where he makes dumb contraptions, and they don't work, and it's funny. So I think it's something that's missing from this movie. Folksy wisdom? Has it? Yeah. As always, he uh, tries to instruct people about a jellyfish on his way to marching with them to the to fruity camp. Yeah. Catchphrases. He, he pretty much does them all. There's a lot. There's a fair amount of the in this because, like I said, a lot of a lot of slime in this. Be it on a jellyfish or on the face of a, a traitorous UN colonel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty much all there. I mean, they, there's a big call-out to, you know what I mean, at the end, where apparently every building that, that Ben Ali helps build has a, a inscription on it that says, uh, don't forget your buddy, you know what I mean? Yeah, so check on that one. Slaps the comedy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's a shit ton of it. Gamera-esque. Friend all children, child at heart. I mean, it's really, this is like the sort of comeback of that, in a way. Yeah, so check already on that. Complicated relationship with animals and machines. Check. Yeah, for sure. Definitely there. Incompetent and inept is definitely there. Definitely. Cartoon violence, definitely. Especially with the heavier pancakes. Yeah. Overly and quickly confident. Check. Mm-hmm. We gotta, we gotta remove it, Josh. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. Alright, here's... We gotta talk about can't eat. We got. We gotta talk about it. Look, I know I was, like, on my pedestal and preaching about how Ernest can't eat. Yeah, and I remember it, that. I get it. It's it's dumb. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. And every email you've sent to me over the past weeks we've been doing this about, why are we doing this? Why is this your thing? I get it. I'm sorry. Ernest can't eat. It's, like, why would I be obsessed with that, right? Mm-hmm. So I will end my Ernest Can't Eat rant, but I will defend it the same way you defended Rimshot, in that while it's not an essential for the Ernest franchise, it's pretty good. It's led to some funny moments. You know, you harken back to Exeronius, harken back to this movie in particular, the whole pancake bit is one of the biggest parts of this movie. You know, like him having difficulty eating, whether he eats or not, is funny it's enjoyable it's an earnestism and while i will relent 
and say it needs to be removed off the essentials list, though it breaks my heart to do so, I will, in my heart of hearts, continue to push for it in our final pitch. Okay. Easily bamboozled and distracted. Slash distracted. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. The fantastical element now. This is the most subtle one we've had, which is just that there is... As we had said in an, an earlier essential we had on the list that we did remove is the weight of prophecy. It's back here, and it's pretty much the sole fantastical element. And I don't know. It doesn't really add anything to this, but I think maybe if there had been a more pronounced fantastical element, it would have done something to mitigate the kind of uh, sleepy mundanity of a lot of this movie. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree completely. I think one of the lowest points of this movie is that there is no fantastical element. Uh, the weight of prophecy, we talked about that, and that was funny at the time. Uh, I don't think it really helps this movie. No. I get what they're going for. They really want it to be funny, but it doesn't really work. Especially because it's a white savior thing. Yeah. So I'm glad we never got back to Weight of Prophecy being put on the list. I think Fantastical Element should stay, though. I think that's key to grabbing your attention around this movie and driving it away from being more boring. I'm going to go into this more with my theory that I'll talk about in uh, the next segment. But I think... We need that fantastic element just to keep us engaged and involved. Because otherwise it becomes forgettable, like Rides Again, or insanely boring, like this movie, despite having a lot of earnest elements. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Uh, chaos is for sure there, and I think definitely needs to be in an earnest movie. Mm-hmm. Ernest must suffer physically and emotionally, but ultimately triumph. Uh, yeah, that happens, and it's important. Mm-hmm. I agree. A self-sacrifice is definitely here. He rides off into the desert alone to save someone. And he won't leave a man behind. He definitely, like, he escapes with Cindy, and he refuses to leave because he has to go back for Colonel Gullet. Yeah, so yeah, for sure, that's definitely there. But does he hit rock bottom in this, though? Not really. No. No, and I think that's more necessary to the yeah. plot. I could have stood to be much more emotionally invested in this movie, and I think that would have uh, could have done the trick, or at least helped. Agreed. Now, the next segment, uh, Hater, <laughs> Colonel Gullet kind of fills this role, He's but definitely. then by the end of the movie, he basically just becomes another antagonist. And as our good football friend, R.I.P. Tyler, let us know, we can't just have the Hater be an antagonist. So I feel like this movie doesn't fulfill that. It has it. No, I think just because it changes doesn't mean it doesn't have it. Because he is, like, okay. the Tofuti is the antagonist, and Gullet is the Hater for most of the movie, and then... Gullet, he, yeah, he does become a secondary antagonist and then just kind of like a, like almost like a MacGuffin. But I think he still, for most of the movie, it does have that structure where it's like, here's the real threat and here's the person that just doesn't like Ernest and, and like wants him to suffer and be miserable. And like that stuff's funny. Like as for as much as like the farting around the army camp is not, is boring. Like the better parts of it, besides the heavy pancake, I think are him antagonizing, you know, unintentionally antagonizing Gullet. So I think that this movie has it, and I think we keep Hater on the list. I think having that sort of secondary lower stakes antagonist is good, and I don't think them becoming a higher stakes antagonist necessarily negates what they were doing earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, yeah, that's, that's a perfect argument, and I agree with you. All right, then. Then finally... We have to talk about the two characters trope, and this is represented in the movie twice, kind of. What's what's the who's the secondary two characters? So when we had the uh, terrible army poople recruitment commercial, it really felt like John R. Cherry and his son were mm-hmm. acting like those two characters. Like it mm-hmm. was 
a big vibe of that. And I feel like they could have, if they decided to keep Ben in this movie, have that be a thing throughout the rest of this movie. And it probably would have fulfilled that role. Then they also have the general and his uh, press agent slash uh, uh, whatever that guy's job is. And uh, that also filled the two characters trip. So, I don't know. Like you said, the general and his press agent were better in this movie than the two salesmen that they played in Rides Again. Mm-hmm. And there are... I have. Well, I will talk about a lot of quotes from the general later on. So it's. I think it was a good ad for this movie. It doesn't save the movie from being boring, but, but I think it, it is. Helps. Yeah, it helps, and it does make it feel like an earnest film. Yeah. Well, we also have the opening credit sequence to set a goofy tone, which again, this movie doesn't have and should have had, and it does make these movies better. Yeah, and it's it's this movie is specifically worse off for it because its credit sequence sucks. Yeah. All right. Okay. Is there any other? essentials that we should add or take off or or we finalized our essentials list i think we finalized it i mean like there is stuff where you know i don't think an earnest movie needs to have a really heavy pancake in it but like it can't hurt but uh Mm -hmm. yeah i think we're good on essentials i think that we we have compiled the list of essential elements for an earnest movie uh and it's right there all right uh well that's great Okay, so Nate, what is next? Do you want to do you want to talk about your timeline, or sure. uh, do you want me to do my wild and crazy theory? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess here's the thing: I'm troubled about the timeline because we we watched this movie, and the thing is that the place I think it makes the most sense to put it is before goes to camp. But there is one major problem with that: which is <laughs> the poster for this movie. <clears throat> what? Yes. The poster for this movie says America's hero is finally back in camp. Okay. So? Which means this movie has to take place after it goes to camp. Why? Why? Because he's back in camp. He's already been to camp. Right, but this is the movie poster, right? Like, we live in a world where you can make a prequel and then, like, also reference the OG movies. Josh, if you made a prequel, it would say he's finally back at camp for the first time. Have you never no. seen a movie poster? No, it wouldn't. If they I mean, movie use... posters can say some dumb nonsense, and it'd be no. fine. The one movie poster straight up lied to you. It was one of the Star Trek movies, and the movie poster said, Why are they putting seatbelts in theaters this summer? And they fucking weren't. They wouldn't put any seatbelts in theaters. There were no seatbelts when I went to the theater to see that Star Trek movie. No, there wasn't. So, you know, who cares? I understand. But there's no... It's, I'm not saying that movie posters have to be 100% truthful. I'm just saying if a movie poster can say, back for the first time, they're going to say it. They love that shit. They didn't say that here. They just said back. So we have to assume that this takes place after camp. Now, where does it go after camp? I don't know. I th- I think it go it has to go on the victory timeline because he's like this prophesized hero here. I mean, it, this doesn't really feel like a redemption story. So I guess this ha- must happen uh, before goes to Africa or after goes to Africa. This has to be after goes to Africa, but before rides again. It's hard to place. Uh, yeah, it's hard to place because you're putting it in the wrong place. 
No, I'm putting it in the right place. What, what, you, you, tell me where you would put it. This movie, it is a prequel to Ernest Goes to Camp. And here's why. In Ernest Goes to Camp, Ernest states that he's a veteran. In this movie, Ernest has never been in the army before. So, he gets into the army reserves in this movie, and then now is a veteran after leaving the army or being still in reserves. Ian Ernest goes to camp. Also, this movie has Ernest interacting with a kid. He has a great time, and it foreshadows Ernest interacting with more kids. Ian goes to camp. But the movie poster, Josh, he's back in camp. Yeah, okay. But I will never accept movie poster title as admissible evidence in this case. What about this, though? What if this takes place after goes to school? And the reason that he doesn't remember that he was a veteran before uh, is because his brain got messed up and goes to school because they shoot a bunch of stuff into his brain to make him smart over and over again. Do you ever think about that? I mean, huh? you could do that, but I am I, I am shaking my head at you. Well, I don't know, Josh. I, you're asking me to... As the kids these days say, SMH, Nate. SMH. Well, I don't know. I guess... I guess... You're, I mean, you're right. Your argument makes a lot of sense. But also, I looked, and you got three whole dimensions, which means that you're definitely not a movie poster. And I don't know why I would believe you over a real-ass movie poster or DVD cover. I told you to stop spying on me well, in my changing room. All right. I will, I will begrudgingly agree with your placement. We'll put it before goes to camp, even though he's supposed to be back in camp. So, I mean, the only thing we can do here is assume, again, like the thing we've talked about before, which is that he's only in camp during the summer. So this takes place while he's been working at the camp, but before the events of Ernest Goes to Camp. And that's my final offer. Take it or leave mm-hmm. it. I will take that offer. That, uh, that makes the most sense to me based on everything that we've talked about. So... This this is gonna lock in the timeline. If uh, we're agreeing on that, you gotta you gotta lay down that timeline for us and tell us what the order is. Okay, so timeline starts with Ernest in the army. Then he goes to camp. At that point, the timeline splits into two prongs: one where he fails in the plot of goes to camp, and is haunted by those failures. Uh, in that timeline, he goes back to school. Then he saves Christmas. Then he gets scared stupid. Now, parallel to this is the victory timeline, where he wins in Goes to Camp and is a hero. In this timeline, he goes to Africa. Then, inspired by the um, final words said to him... I guess that makes it sound like she died. Inspired by the words that Renee says to him at the end of those movies, he uh, pursues an adventurous life, but he's heartbroken, so he does it in a really weird way, and the plot of Rides Again happens. Uh, but then he is redeemed from that by confronting and defeating his evil doppelganger in goes to jail now the parallel event of Ernest redeeming his bloodline by defeating the troll trantor in one timeline and unifying his soul by defeating his evil shadow archetype in the other timeline causes all the timelines to fuse together and we get slammed on Ernest which has references to both timelines in it it's kind of the as we've said before Ernest in the army is the skyward sword of Ernest, even though it feels much cleaner for that to be goes to camp, but whatever. That's the skyward sword of Ernest movies, and then Slam Dunk Ernest is the breath of the wild of Ernest movies, or the turn A Gundam, if you prefer uh, to think about this in terms of Gundam. Yes, that is a reference I get. (laughs) 
and that's it definitely doesn't need to be explained to me again it's just, i mean it's just it's the you get it i get it stop trying to goad me into explaining things on this podcast <laughs> uh so that's the timeline we're not going to include dr otto and the real gloom beam although i'm sure you will try Oh, I'll try. To include it. We're not going to officially include it because, again, it's not. Ernest isn't the center of that movie. This it's not technically an Ernest movie, and we will talk about that in a bonus episode. But that's not going to be part of the official timeline. No. Okay. So, are you ready for my weird theory? I'm always ready for a weird theory, Josh. Do you not? Even, do you not know me? I do know you, and that was a rhetorical question. And we shall do this. So, previously, I had a theory about the insanity of Coke Sam's in Ernest Goes to School, where Coke Sam's basically just doesn't know how to follow up on anything. He just sets weird, random stuff up, and he's like the fantastical element of Ernest. And he t- he followed up Goes to Camp with Goes to School, taking all the Ernesty stuff and just making it insane. Now, this movie, I offer to you, dear Nate, and our one fan, and dear listeners, and hopefully Zach, and our brave football Tyler, that this movie is the John R. Cherry version of Goes to School. Elaborate. Ernest in the Army has a lot of Ernest elements, and John R. Cherry famously sets shit up, even the smallest stuff, and pays it off. We got Chekhov's pancake paying off. We got the lips paying off. We got Sector 32 and Channel 32 paying off somehow. Like, all of that's like small stuff that he sets up. Just, you know, we, we get a resolution to it. And it's it works. But the movie itself is boring. Mm. It just doesn't... Like, it has those Ernest elements. It has the two characters trope. It has, you know, all of Ernest's confidence and ineptitude and everything else but it just doesn't work as a movie yeah so okay so you're saying that this is too much of the john or cherry influence as opposed to goes to school which is too much of the coke sam's influence and they are exactly order versus chaos exactly and they pair up perfectly in the og movie ernest goes to camp where there is the fantastical element and nonsense and there is the structured Ernest stuff and it all works out together but you have each of those elements on their own 100%, e.g. Ernest goes to school, 100% chaos, and Ernest in the army, 100% order. They don't work as a movie. Mm. That makes sense to me. I mean, I have no, you know, we'd have to interview the, the dudes themselves to really get a, a total handle on it, but I can I could see that. I definitely can agree with placing this movie on the sort of opposite end of the spectrum from goes to school. That also makes it makes me think that if you're what you're hypothesizing is true, then I feel like the like the craftsman stuff must come from Coke Sam's because like goes to school is full of wacky gadgets and there's none of that in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you can really like I'm not going to dig down here because uh, I could spend forever on it, but you can really dig down and pick out what essentials belong with which person, and I think we can establish that. Coke Sam's brought some stuff to the table. John R. Cherry brought some stuff to the table. And they align together perfectly. And what we need to do in these movies is take the best of both parties to make our best Ernest movie. We can't Wait. go far too far down the John R. Cherry train and can't go too far down the Coke Sam's train. Are you saying that we got to pour ourselves a nice frosty glass of cherry Coke? 
And we're done. That's the podcast. <laughs> We've been building up to that joke since the first episode. <laughs> you suck. Yeah, no, we we have to drink some cherry coke, Nate, and make the best Ernest movie, which we'll, we'll be using for cherry coke for. God, this is dumb. It's that's just gonna be our watch for it. So we got to keep in mind. We got to think about like every every decision we make. We got to think cherry coke. Yes, yes, we do. Uh, so that's, that's my theory. Uh, I also want to note, just in general, this movie, while we're talking about movie structure, because this just baffled me in general, and I wanted to just lay it out there, I don't think it really belongs in any section. This movie, the army movie, Mm. goes out of its way to make sure that you don't really see any characters die. Ben comes back, he's fine. Anyone that gets shot at in a tank jumps out before the tank explodes. The only, like, death you see is that bleached-out Halloween skeleton that gets golfed upon. And that's not really, like... I, I wouldn't count that. There is even a point where a, a mine, a rock mine, gets thrown into the porta potty of the general, and he just comes out all covered in suit. And it's like, okay, well, this is a kid's movie. They're not going to show death. But what the fuck was up with Africa, with all the death in Africa, then? Yeah, it definitely... I mean, I wonder if they got pushback. I don't know, but it definitely makes, like, it somehow makes Ernest Goes to Africa feel even, like, weirder and slightly grosser than it already was. Yeah, it's just such an anomaly that, like, Africa had so much prevalent death in it that it's like, either they were, like, logically, someone was like, hey, you you can't do a movie with, with death in it, but your movie can still be racist. Or... Uh, I don't know. There's no, there's no or. I didn't have a second one. See, I don't know here's what the, the deal is. The thing about this movie is that they, yeah, they keep doing that thing where like people jump out of the car or whatever, like to show that they're not, they're not dying, and then like well, a cat meows. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, which are people only do when they're alive. But they keep doing this thing where a character, well, it's specifically in the the sequence where Gullet is showing them the equipment. And they keep going on and on about how something is very deadly. The rock mines are deadly. They'll destroy you. The gas is deadly. And then people get exposed to it, not just Ernest, and they survive. And it kind of like, we maybe should have talked about this in the timeline part, but I don't think there's any way to resolve it. It kind of seems like just everybody has Ernest immortality in this movie. Yeah. Or, alternatively, the fact that all of the stuff wasn't actually... No, that doesn't really work, because he's showing them the enemy's weapons. But I was going to say, maybe the stuff isn't deadly because Gullet was sabotaging it, because he's a bad guy. But that wasn't even equipment they were supposed to be using themselves. Well, no, the rock mines... Um... Oh, the rock mines were for them. I th- okay. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the explanation. Maybe it's just like, you know, one of the mines that they used in the test run wasn't as deadly. And- or Gullet was just exaggerating. And being like, our stuff is the best stuff. It'll turn you into red mist. And it doesn't. Just use the phrase red mist. And it very explicitly does not. That man, he is not mist after he is exploded by the rock mine. Yeah, but neither are the people that are driving the tank. Even if they, no. even after they jump out, the tank will explode. And a red mist bomb has a lot more explodiness than a, than a not red mist. I, wow, my brain is dead. I, I, I can't... <laughs> We're good. We can stop you for that. We don't need to talk about this anymore. You know what I mean. Yeah. No, I get it. We're good. We can move on. Okay. All right. Uh, I got quote corner. 
right around the corner coming up, uh, unless you want to do something else beforehand. No. No, I do not. All right. We're gonna... me, me, tell me the quotes. We're going to live in quote corner for a second, where we are going to wait John Wayne minute, where the general said that for no reason. Just shoving John Wayne into our movie, even though Ernest already did a John Wayne impression earlier in the movie. That's true. He did do that. Do you have a quote? I don't have any quotes. I don't read any quotes. What do you think I am? You? <laughs> Fair enough. We got random bystander using his club to shoot golf balls to Ernest as Ernest is picking up golf balls, excitingly saying, yeah, I got him in the face. Yeah, they're really stoked to hurt Ernest in that scene where they're shooting golf balls at him. Getting back to the general, when he learns that that missile is coming towards them, he's like, we gotta nuke that missile before it gets any closer. Yeah. Which is like a good satire on army people, just being like raising the aggression, but also not understanding the situation. It also sounds almost exactly like something that the previous president would have said. Yeah. Okay. Now we have Ernest hoping that he's not going to watch a chick flick during their in-flight ride to the area in Karifistan, because according to Ernest, and Ernest only, chick flicks are too brown. Yeah, what is the, what? I don't understand what that means. That was very weird. I guess he meant, like, color tone? Was that a thing? Did, did like, weepies have, like, a brown tint to them? Very strange. Very, very strange. Got two more, real quick. They're the best two, though. We got President Two Fruity, who is president for life throughout this movie, and his assistant, Kibby. And Kibby's always doing stuff for President Two Fruity, but also, like, screwing stuff up in, like, a cartoonish henchman like way and Ernest uses his Chekhov's pancake to throw it at President Tufruti and it hits him in the head and Tufruti falls down and Kibby looks at him and he's like now you are damaged for life and then laughs maniacally while driving off yeah he does say that <laughs> it's it's so dark it's certainly something that is said with the cadence of a joke but doesn't seem like it's a joke no like oh that's awful I mean, he's a bad guy, but, like, oh. Yeah. Also, <laughs> Ernest crippled that guy. Per permanently injured him with a pancake. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And then, finally, we got Ben Ali giving the best quote of the movie. Do you remember this quote, Nate? Do you want to give it to us? He said when he just goes, I come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the setup for the scene is, like, I guess a bunch of... I don't actually understand the setup of the scene. A bunch of uh, refugees are going to hang around the army camp and that is coming in, and they leave, and one of the kids that will eventually later beat up Ben Ali for some reason, which is never explained, is like, Ben, aren't you coming? And Ben's like, yes, I come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that they say in the movie. Oh, God, I... We just, both of us, lost our minds at that. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Anything else before we do a quick side character shout-out and then possibly wrap this drawn up? No, I think we're good. Okay. Then, very quick side character shout-out. First side character shout-out is to Private Wank. Yeah. Who has the best name and is upset that he can't eat a pancake. Yeah. Thank you, Private Wank, for your service as being Private Wank. My condolences on your pancake, uh, Wank. Also, just to be clear, it's his name is spelled W-A-N-K-E. Could be Wanky. And they never like, they never say his name in the movie, but clearly it's Wank. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Next side character shout out is to Ben's hot girlfriend who shows up at one point in the movie and is never referenced again. She doesn't even come to his bedside. The only reason that she's in this movie is for Ernest to get wistful about having a girl. Yeah, I, I totally forgot about her. <laughs> the next side character shout out is for John R. Cherry Jr., Corporal Davis, just being a shitty friend to Ernest. He yes. helps enlist him in the army, gets Ernest in dangerous territory, and then as Ernest briefly goes to Captain America himself and free the hostages on his own, refuses to help his buddy. Yeah, and doesn't really seem to care that Ernest has gone off on his own. Ben Ali asks him about it, and he's like, eh, Ernest has left. He's done, I guess. No more Ernest. See ya. Yeah, he sucks. Yeah, no, he's no good. And then finally... What would an Ernest movie be without somebody talking down to a woman about her ways to get herself forward in her career? We gotta give a shout out to the shitty cameraman assistant to Cindy, who is just a dick for no reason. He's also played by the guy who plays Private Spunkmeyer in Aliens. Okay, cool. That has been side character shout out, because there aren't many more side characters in this movie, unlike Africa. Yeah. Smaller case. That's it. All right, then. That is it for this movie. Uh, this movie... Don't watch this movie. No. Well, just just like Africa, this is a skippable Ernest movie, and it's mostly bad and boring. I mean, if you really wanted to watch the Ernest movies, I would say, like, you know, get too scared stupid, then skip to Slam Dunk, and then you're out. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, that seems pretty fair. So, what is, uh, what's next for us? Like, we, we've talked about locking stuff in. We're finaling up our Ernest movies. What's the plan going forward, Nate? We're going to move on to our finale where we're going to develop and pitch the perfect Ernest movie. Yes, that's right. We are finally building up to that wonderful finale. We're going to accomplish what we set out to accomplish and pitch that perfect Ernest movie for everybody to enjoy and appreciate and never get made ever. Well, it would be impossible, but yes. Uh, that is exactly the situation. So uh, we'll see you next time. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us, listeners, and our one awesome fan. We really appreciate you. We look forward to blowing you all away with our finale. And I apologize for getting too horny again. So, until next time, remember, there's a right and wrong in the universe. And the distinction is not hard to make. You know what I mean? Now you burn. But now you gotta move, burn. Burn.